Hi, I'm JT White, author, digital native, and product person, obsessed with trying to find out how to make digital products and the people that make them the best we possibly can. This is Build for Better. My guest today is John Rogers. John has been in the ad tech space for over 20 years, managing teams and developing supply-side strategy with publishers for his entire career in the space. He's a proud member of the Baltimore ad tech community, starting at advertising.com in 2002, also working at Videology and then Amobi. He currently oversees business development at Nexon SSP, expanding their publisher footprint and managing strategic accounts. He's also incredibly thoughtful, very smart, and I'm very excited to spend time with him. This is John. All right, John, I've been I've been excited to have this conversation with you since the very first time that we spoke. And I kind of immediately, I didn't know that you were going to be a podcast guest. You were just a person that I got introduced to through mutual friends. Yeah. And like the second you started talking, I was like, oh, I want to talk to this guy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I mean, I was motivated after listening to other episodes to reach out. I think we over LinkedIn. I just said, hey, man, your podcast is really good. So I'm glad to be here, first of all. And also... Um, yeah, it just seemed really natural when we started talking anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super pumped. And I'm, I'm particularly pumped because when we were talking about how, like, you know, once the podcast, once it became evident to me that there was a podcast in our future, I mm. kind of wanted to figure out where we were going to go. And we very naturally kind of headed toward this idea of, like, understanding. Mm. And the idea of what understanding looks like as a manager, as a leader, what it looks like as a coworker, what yeah. it looks like as an industry person. Yeah. And so I, like... I kind of want to start very, very, very high level with like, how would you say understanding has driven your career to this point? So uh, that's an interesting question. Just so big picture, especially in the management role and working across. So like I'm a I'm um, I'm heavy duty Gen X. Like I am uh, uh, born in 72. OK. All right. I'm born in 72. OK. Oh, just come out. I'm 50, <laughs> almost 52. Just say it. I'll just, just say I'm it. just going to say it. let's start that John's old and there's a whole rap in my office about me having a landline and stuff. But anyway, um, so as I moved into the working world, I did sort of notice, and I'm a psych major um, too, like I sort of like that kind of stuff just naturally, but also it's noticeable the people that are ahead of me and behind me and um, the, the boomers that I worked with had a certain style. And then as I moved into management, the folks that were younger than me, which didn't have a name, but now are sort of millennials and Gen Zs, had a style. And it just became naturally interesting to me. And I actually, um, you know, I like to read about it and talk about it. I talk to my kids about it, like the whole thing. So that's where the part of understanding comes. And then I just found the more that you can understand somebody, the more productive you are at work. Like there's a base level of it, right? Of just sort of like trying to keep the friction down in your office. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think so. Je so I'm a millennial. Mm. I'm a fringe millennial, I think, technically, because yeah. I was born in 85. You did it. So I'll share it as well, <laughs> um, which, I, you know, I always think of my particular there's like a four year cusp where I feel like we're a little bit lost because I mm. do identify with Gen X because I didn't have the Internet for a while. Yeah. And I didn't have cell like all the all the things that make millennials millennial. I, I remember a time without. But then I also grew up with them. So I'm also like, I am a digital native, even though I hate that term. So Gen X, I always think is so interesting, though, because I think for you guys, understanding is a wild, like you guys just have a wild swing because the difference between talking to a boomer and the difference between talking to a millennial is like night and day. Like, it's so, so crazy. <laughs> I, 
you know what's really funny? I feel that way. And I said it to my brother-in-law, who uh, my sister's older than me. And I said that to my brother-in-law, or I think it was him. And he was like, well, every generation's between two other generations. And I was like, I don't know, man. This feels that maybe, maybe it's because of the digital elements and the work yeah. styles and parenting, I think. You can even get into that. But um, I, it, I do feel like the Xers fit into a more wild spectrum <laughs> of, of work styles and that kind of stuff to keep it to work. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's for, so the reason, and, and, and for me, again, as a fringe millennial, I think I have a, not a unique perspective, but I get to be Gen X with a little bit, right? Because I did start in the workforce where boomers were still a thing. Yeah, me too. Right. Like, I, I remember. So, like, I yeah. remember the old guard and, like, you know, where I'm from. I remember the suits and ties and pinky rings and, like, the, you know, the martini lunches. Like, I saw it happen. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't just, like, a Mad Men TV show. Like, I actually grew up with some guys around me when I was coming up in the industry that were like that. Yeah. But... Like, like the kids that are six years younger than me that are still technically in my bracket missed most of those guys, mm. right? And I'm saying guys very specifically because for the most part, it was guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, Right? So I, I do agree with you that I think that for, for Gen X, like just the, the spectrum of difference between that generation and this generation and having to, go, going back to understanding, like being able to speak a language that is both reasonable and fair, but that they understand... Those are two wildly different languages for you guys. Yes, I agree for sure on that. And I also think, um, and I guess this sort of leans into the understanding pieces, like people, like they just come from such a different place when you're weaned on your, or, or when you when you have no tech and it's all just sort of muscle through and this is how we did it and the f flexibility, maybe it's flexibility too, which could be another podcast episode around flexibility, but like there, it was so rigid when I started working, again, in full disclosure, my age and everything. I came out of college in 1994, right? So there was no, we had an email, there was one email terminal. I worked for a company that doesn't even exist anymore, MCI. I was selling a phone service door to door in Pittsburgh, a business to business, right? I'd go to the South Side and try to get the flip the, the pickle barrel on South Side from AT&T to MCI. And that's a whole other, that's crazy too. But um, so we, uh, we had one terminal and we just sort of did whatever MCI mail was, right? And then at some point in my career there, they gave us a laptop and then we had our own email. And that was kind of interesting, but we, it wasn't part of our culture. We just thought it was wild. And then the younger set, like it's just so natural for them that flexibility is natural. They're empowered. And when you're empowered, your whole world changes. And maybe that's part of it too, right? Like you're, there's, a, there's an empowerment element to your work when you're when there's really one way to do it and then there's 20 ways to do it. And that's probably part of it too, actually. So I, I, as, as is always with this podcast and me, I have a question I didn't think I was going to ask, but now I'm very interested in yeah. based on what you just said. Yeah. How do you, how did you navigate managing boomers existing with millennials? Because one thing that I, I, I talk about a lot with, Gen Z and, and millennials in particular is the, 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 the skill set of, of managing up, mm. right? Which is a really, really challenging thing, specifically when you're getting started. And specifically, I think, you know, like, you know, we're millennials and Gen Z in particular, we're much more in tune to things like our emotions and imposter syndrome and all these other things that just didn't exist yeah, right. in the 60s. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, it wasn't, sure. like it wasn't an option. Like it wasn't like we didn't know. It's like, no, 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 we didn't know. Mm. So one thing I'm interested for you specifically, and I don't want you to have to speak on all of Gen, Gen X, but here we are, right. is like, how do you manage boomers 
living with millennials? Like, what what did that look like? I think the um, it definitely happened too. Like, you'd sort of be managing in that way. The the core thing, and this is, I think, the premise of anything that we talk about here with work styles and all that stuff, is that you can always anchor the work. Like, there is a job, and the job needs to be done. You either have to close deals, or you have to fix problems, or you have to troubleshoot. And as long as you define that work, then it's sort of a negotiation on work styles, as long as the work's defined, right? Like, right. if you do hard work, then um, it's it's hard to for an older generation to define a younger generation as soft. If that person, if this, if the younger person is doing the same work, right? That Right. Maybe how they do it is different, or maybe they express their feelings different, or maybe they, like you said, like have a, they bring different baggage to it. But if you anchor it in the work, then you can start to talk a common language at least. So I would start there, but it always, I mean, you know how it goes, like every, then, it, then it's like the work style of the older generation of, I won't even say boomer and millennial, because it could be any older generation. Yeah and younger generation, but like then, then you do have to account for the work styles and you do have to kind of lean into sort of how they approach what they do. I like to, li- I'm a, I'm a, uh, I like to listen a lot. I ask a lot of questions, probably do my own podcast just like you. And, uh, cause I love to ask questions and just sort of listen, but I have to turn that into a sales style and a client orientation as well, which I think is beneficial to me in my career. And that is part of, probably part of how I've done it personally is understanding where they've come from. Also understanding how the boomer say thinks of the millennials. Maybe they're like, Hey man, you know, it's cool. Like, let's just get the work done. Or the other ones might be, you know, listen, if you're supposed to come in at eight, you know, the, what is the, the, is it not Bill Belichick? Is it Belichick? If you're 10 minutes? No, it's, um, there's football coach. I'm spacing on it. If you're 10 minutes early or five minutes later or whatever, like there's always like, yeah, I, I grew up with, I was junior ROTC when I was a kid for a while. And it was on times, uh, early's on time, on times, late, late's unacceptable. Yeah, so th- like things like that. <laughs> like that's one way to manage your team. And then another way is like, hey man, just get here on time or, you know, so there's a lot of questioning, listening, understanding people's attitudes towards each other and trying to adjust to that for sure. That's been my career, I think, once I got into management for sure. All right, so I want to double click on, on that specifically. Yeah. So in management in particular, because one, one of the connections that we have is we have a mutual friend um, and he was telling me that like he very much like says that you're a big part of why, why he is where he is today. Hmm. Right. Because like he told a story, which I, you know, I don't want to tell this whole story, but like went through a bunch of interviews where they were like, you know, how many hot dogs are in New York? Like all these like crazy. Oh, questions. Yeah, we used to do. Uh, they called them cases. Right. And then cases. Like, yeah. yeah. And then like you sort of strolled in like at like you know, on interview four, it was just like, what's up, man? Like, what are you doing? What are these people asking you? Like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and it was like a completely different sort of deal. Yeah. So with that in mind, understanding the culture that you currently work in and the work styles that exist, how does that change? I don't want to say your hiring process, but how does that change how you go about building teams? Yeah. You or does it not? Uh, well, this is where I think you have to under you have to anchor it in the work first. I think that's maybe a common theme of, you know, uh, the guy that you're that we're both talking about. I remember talking to him, and it certainly wasn't like lean back, like, "Hey, man, it's cool, like light a cigarette and not worry about anything." Like, I'm definitely uh, looking for things, and it depends on the role, right? Like, so you're trying to find out sort of like here's a good example when you're hiring or building teams, even if it's not my own team. Like when I interview. 
technical people, and I'm not overly technical. I like listening to your podcast because I get that point of view, which helps me, again, back to understanding. I, that's why I like it. But I'll pick the most complex thing on their resume, and I'll ask them to explain it to me. Because that's what they're going to do every day in their job. Because that's what they're going to have to do. <laughs> so um, if they can do that well, like that's a pretty good start. And then, you know, there's always interviewing for culture fit and that kind of stuff. But if you anchor it in sort of where you think the job is going to be and how you think they're going to do, this guy, I got, his name's Kevin, right? So Kevin, I think interviewed for technical roles, but he was so personable. And, you know, like he has so many good stories and it's like, okay, can he manage a client? So then the technical pieces, if it's an 80-20, like he's got the 20% technical down. He was interviewing for a technical job. They all really liked him, but they thought maybe he was going to be more of a client-oriented guy. Like it was just a perfect fit. Yeah. So the attitudes I think is, is a whole other thing. Right. And you, and you need people that are going to work together. I forget. I was listening to like the common values really matters. So you've got to make sure that people value, hopefully you have corporate values that align with your team values and your team values roll to people values. And I would contend if your corporate values are a little out of line, you can still create a good team culture. Yeah, really that I definitely too. agree with. So I, I have a, a hypothetical, speaking of interview questions, I have a hypothetical yeah. question for you now, mm. uh, which is you're interviewing a candidate who is the perfect fit for the role, but you don't think is going to align on culture or team. Where, mm -hmm. like, where's the, like, you know, assu assuming it's a line, right, which is like perfect to worst, like how far in one direction can somebody be and you still think be successful? So um, I, I do this with, with my new managers. We, or not with any manager, I remind them of sort of how the, to think about this. There's a, um, I think it was Jack Welsh, the GE guy, but he had a um, sort of a, a, a matrix of the intersection of performance and subscribes to values, yeah. right? It, was it him? Do you know this? I think, I think it was, yeah. So people who perform well and subscribe to your values, you want them on your teams or you want to promote them. Right. People who do neither are going to probably uh, have to go. Yeah. Fortunately, people who subscribe to your values and don't perform, you should work as a manager to find a, the best place for them in the company, but maybe not on your team. The problem is that other quadrant that you're talking about, the people who will perform, but don't subscribe to your values. And that's sort of what you're saying when you're interviewing. Yeah. And my experience is that they rip your teams apart and it becomes hard to work with those folks. It's like um, in fo the football analogy, be like a Terrell Owens or something, right? Like locker room. Great, yeah, but terrible locker room guy, but a great player all around. And in those years, he just ripped the teams apart and he had to go. So if I felt like that person was just not able to be a culture fit on my team, I probably wouldn't hire him. Yeah. Um, because you can get performance from somebody but that culture and that team element really matters a lot from my experience. I think it's, I don't want to say team first, but you've got to have everybody pulling in the right direction. Otherwise it just gets too noisy. Yeah. I think this is a thing that I think about a lot and I've used this analogy before and I think you and I have talked about it off air, but this, this mm -hmm. idea of like indoor outdoor cats. Right. And I love and, that. And I think that's what I reached out about, by the way, the first thing when I wrote you the note, cause it was fascinating, but anyway, yeah, go ahead, please. I want, I want to talk about this. Too. I think it might've been, well, the, the reason I think about it, right. Is because like a lot of it in my, I think I don't, the, I, this is one of those fun topics that I, I change my mind a lot on all the time. Mm -hmm. There's a, depending on the discipline, I do think there's a world for outdoor cats and an outdoor cat is one of those examples of like somebody who is just 
a monster at their job and doesn't really want to play ball with anything else. Mm-hmm. And like, depending on what your role is, I do think there's places where that fits, you know, QA in the technical world mm-hmm. is one of those rules where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like you don't really actually have to engage much at all. You just got to do your thing and be awesome at it. And then leave. Yeah. that's totally cool. But what I'm finding and what I think is interesting back to this whole understanding thing yeah. is that's changing. Mm-hmm. I remember a world where engineers could sort of, just disappear and come back home when they needed it, when it was done. And I remember a world where there was that one salesperson that just sort of didn't really come to meetings and stuff, but kind of just crushed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right? And like what I'm seeing, at least what I'm, what I'm observing and what I feel is as the emotional quotient, the EQ side of the business is getting more and more millennial, which is a, a big generalization. It's not to take away from Gen X or boomers, but just this idea of being way more in tune and way more community driven and way more connected. Right. Those outdoor cats are working less and less. I think, Mm. I think because I think, and and now I look at Gen Z and then Gen Z people that I hire and work with and like collaboration is everything. It's just, it's so inherently built into their culture as a human. Yeah. That this idea that somebody wouldn't be in the Slack channel or wouldn't be on the ticket or wouldn't be in the conversation feels alien and ostracizing. And it's a really interesting sort of like back to the whole like understanding people thing. It's weird, man. <laughs> yeah. And I I am also sympathetic to post-COVID world where they want to be engaged, but also like we're not in the office as much. So right. then because it used to be like the 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 you know let's just slap like it doesn't have to be the boomer solution to it but in some way like the brute force solution is making everybody come to the office five days a week boom right now you're sitting in the office and everybody's connected or at least you think they are but now it's it's even more um complex because they want the connect people want the connection i'm going to say they we want connection to work with people but you also want the flexibility of managing your life in a certain way and you may or may not like your commute. It's I just heard a thing on the um, the daily podcast where they were talking about the work exactly this, where it's sometimes the worst of both worlds. You have to commute and an empty office. Like, right? So you have to figure all that out. So those are all pieces that we need to make sure. I think as managers, you have to understand where people are with that in their lives because you're, that's how you're going to get the most out of them. So anyway, it's a, it is really interesting because it's. Uh, back to the indoor outdoor cat thing like you have there's not a there's less people that just sort of disappear i think and then come back for food and water right right yeah um and then the other concept you brought in was uh i I think you were talking to Bricklemeyer, and you were talking about um is it dogs too dogs are kind of everywhere you go right yeah 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 yeah. and it the indoor cats and dogs i think are a little more um probably uh prevalent now in the space in our on our teams and then it's you got to understand sort of where you know what makes them go yeah you know so so when you're when you're trying to suss out understanding something and listen we both it should be noted you have a psychology background so do i mm, so like yeah, i'm also like super geeked out on this stuff like i love this part of of human beings like the reason i got into product i think very specifically was because you know, if I'm, I have an ego and like in sales, I could convince one person that a thing was good in product. I could convince all of them that it was good. That's 
awesome. That's really interesting. It's a, well, I'm, I don't have the aptitude to be in product, but neither I do I, by the that way. <laughs> um, that's awesome. That's really cool. But yeah, and by the way, when you say background in psychology, I was a psych major at the University of Pittsburgh and um, I'm fascinated by the generations and all of these elements in particular. And it does unlock a lot of stuff. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. So, well, I think it's important. I mean, I also just went to college. It was just, it's, I went to school for evolutionary psychology specifically. But the reason I do okay. think it's one of those things that sticks with you, right? Because like, as you learn uh, how how people tick and what makes people tick and also like the science, like what's happening in the brain when things are happening and, yeah. and like how to disarm conversation, like all those things are huge. Like, I can't tell you how beneficial, like I have, I have a bit that I've done forever, which is like similar to, to countries where they make you go do like you have to go in the military. I think everybody in the U S should have to work in food and bed for a year because I just think it's one of those things like you have to work in the service industry. You should do six months in the front of the house and six months in the back of the house. And the rest of the world will start to make more sense to you. Oh and people would start being nicer because like nobody, if you've ever worked in food and bed, your nightmare is watching somebody be mean in food. And bed. It's like one of the worst feelings in the world. And yeah. I think that's one of those things where again, just to draw the parallel, it's like it's inherently built into you once you've done it. And that's why I say background insight because even when I'm not thinking about it, there are all these moments specifically, I think as a father that I see mm -hmm. things happening and I'm like, right. I actually do know what's happening right now. And it's like, it's a, it's a thing they can't help. And so it's on me to be better in this moment, not on them because they're operating on their instinct. And so I say all that to bring it back to when you're assessing culture fit and when you're starting an interview or also like this works with clients too. It doesn't have to be with bringing people in, but when you're sitting with a client, like, what are what are your tactics to actually get to the understanding of the human sitting across from you? Like, what what do you use? I research for sure, if I need to, uh, especially in client situations. So I oversee the the uh, media team, the business development team at an SSP now at Nexon, and um, understanding what's happening in the market with other pub we, publishers are my clients. So understanding what's happening with other publishers that are like those publishers really digging in not just sort of like how's it going in connected tv but like other broadcasters are seeing this do you see that right and um i used to be a sales trainer too and we used to call it um i used to sell people to uh, train people how to sell mci and um which is funny but anyway we used to call it a logical stake in the ground if you can put a good stake in the ground that's informed and doesn't set them back like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about right it gives them something to react to so uh and that that works also uh in job interviews or sort of culture uh internal things as well you, you do have to be informed and it, it always sort of comes back to me around curiosity which i think is sort of your number one attribute in ad tech if you're not curious you probably won't survive in ad tech like because it changes so much like you have to be able to say like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Do you think this is going to happen next? And then sort of go from there. Like, I think that that's, it's an informed point of view and I can shake the tree to figure out like sort of where people think or stand. And if, you know, if they say like, no, I think I have it, then they're probably not going to be a good fit because yeah, you should have like the best job interview I did with a guy who was out in San Francisco and it was, it went like three hours because he couldn't stop asking questions like, wait, and he was like, you know, he had a full head of hair, unlike me. And he was just sort of like, wait a minute. And he kept like rubbing his head and it was just so cool. And I'll never forget it because it was like, this guy's going to be a great fit. And he's still in the space and awesome. So um, stuff like that, right? Like that you, you uh, test them on their curiosity. Yeah, I, I have a, 
I'm a firm belief that curiosity is the new currency. Mm, and I, like I think, that. and I, by the way, like now I'm out of ad tech for the most part now, but like, and, and have been in and out of it for a long time, but every industry that I work in, I think curiosity is the currency. Like the more and more, like I, I, my hiring practice, like I always had that thing, which was like hire for talent. Like, just like, if you just like, there's a, there's an it factor, which I don't love because you can't quantify it. Yeah. But like when you're in a room with somebody, I could never really put like a thing to it, which is like, I don't know. I just feel like this person's really, really depth. Like they're just going to mm. be good at things. Yeah. They feel smart. And what I've learned, the, like the, the more and more interviews I've done and the longer and longer I've, I've been around this, it's curious. It's mm. when people are asking, it's not that they're asking questions. It's that they're asking questions. Like they're, they're not like doing the thing they're supposed to do. They're like, actually, I don't understand why it's not like that. And they're like pushing against you and going, but why? Like, why is it like yeah. that? I want to know why it's like that. Why yeah. is one of my favorite things in interviews? It's also one of my favorite things with clients. I love when clients are like, well, why doesn't it do that? Like, that's the best question. Because like, if now I either have to have a good answer or you just found out I didn't know something I didn't know. And we yeah. can fix it. And that's so much fun. But yeah, I think I love that you said curiosity because I really do feel like, and it's, it, it, I think it transcends every industry. Like, it probably we does. need more curious people. Like, curious people fix things kindly and intelligently instead of brute force because curiosity usually comes from a place of wanting to understand back to the unintentional episode reference yeah no. like wanting yeah. to understand what the person's going through that needs it to be like solved yeah but it's so healthy like it's such a healthy way to build stuff and you have to work sometimes you do have to work to understand it right like it's not just it could be an intellectual curiosity like oh this is interesting and that's fine i guess but at work you have to sometimes really dig under the the hood and you have to, and that's where the, in my role, like mine, I'm relationship oriented and my, my role is here. And that's why the relationship manage matters because you might have to really dig, right? Like I'm going to a conference on Sunday and like, we're, we're going to have conversations, but um, you don't want to make the person mad by asking that many questions. They have to understand your intent too. You have to make yeah. yourself understandable. Such a good right? point. And, um, you know, there's vulnerability and, you know, uh, confidence could be an interesting thing to talk more about, too, because there is an element of confidence to be asking those questions because you're losing control of the conversation when you are curious and say, why does that work? Because if my client says why something works and it's not what I do, then I got to figure out a way to <laughs> get yeah. back to work. Right. So um, there's definitely an element of uh, uh losing control when you work when you make yourself understandable you're making yourself vulnerable and then it kind of you know it's a it's a it's got to be anchored in in some premise but um the conversations are really uh sometimes you're vulnerable in those and that's a lot so of times where the relationships grow too i guess right but i also think and the reason that you're good at what you do right is because it goes back to what you were saying before about being researched I, I think that's one of those things like curiosity without research can be annoying. Research oh, and curious, researched and curious is informed and caring. Right. And like, I, I think that that it's that those two things together make you less vulnerable too. I mean, like, at least in my experience, right. Like I, I've been very lucky and also very foolishly in rooms before where I was like, my charm and general knowledge of things will carry me through this. And I have been <laughs> way off base. And I was like, actually, yeah, I should yeah, have yeah. read some stuff before I showed up here. Uh-oh. Like, and, and it is. And it's like 
curiosity, I do think is it's charming. Like when people are really curious and you can tell that it's genuine, like it's a very charming effect to have because it's like, yeah. oh, this person's cool. But also to your point, there's a line where you're like, these questions are getting kind of annoying because it feels like I have to do some of the work for you. I don't want to do the work. I want you to do the work and then ask the questions that I haven't thought of yet or the questions that I need someone to ask me so that I can get my point across. Right. So it's really in service. It's really in service of the other person, which is like, that's back to anchoring in the work. Like that's the work. Yeah, right. right. It's before you show up in the room, what you did that actually matters. Yeah. And uh, if you can give them the feeling that we're working together, yeah. that's the best, right? Because then yeah. they're invested. And that's the other thing we always talk about too, is like, are they invested in the problem? Do they want to work through this? And as a um, sales oriented person, like that's all you have to work with people who want to work with you. Well, it's harder to make somebody want to work with you if they're leaning in and you're informed and you're curious and you're working to understand them. Uh, people who want to work with you will also do the same thing. And then you have a vibe that you're working together. It is, a, uh, you know, there is an element of that. Right. And um, uh, that doesn't th that also is uh, for people on your teams. And maybe that's part of the research now that we're talking through it. Right. Like. I'm a Gen X manager of people, and I do have a level of experience in managing folks in, that are millennials and now Gen Zs, and I understand them, and I, I, can, under, I can work to understand how they work best. And, right. and I never thought of it that way, because I like the people that are on my teams. I, I just think their work styles vary, and they certainly are different than the boomers, and probably different than Gen Xs too. But they're yeah. not soft. Right. Like if you come in with a pre, it's, it's almost the same thing, right? Like you come in the door with like a pre formed idea that the people who are younger than me don't want to work hard. Well, they're just going to say, screw you. Right. And, right. and, and they're, and that would be wrong, by the way, everybody that's, that I work with it, that are of different generations want to get the work done. They understand the work. Their style just might be different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that, yeah. that line of understanding is, is so thin. Because it works the other way too, right? Like it also, like I can also say as a millennial that like I have been around my my people uh, mm -hmm. and, and heard them talk about, again, back to the managing up conversation, which is like, yeah. oh, it's da, 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 da. like, you know, they're too rigorous. It's all about the way it's supposed to go. And it's like, yeah, but also like there's, there's forgiveness in that too, which is like it did get us here, yeah. <laughs> right? right? Like it's not like it's not a good idea just because you don't like the way it's working. Like it could be a thing that you just don't necessarily jive with, which is also a really challenging personal thing to work through and, and find out, right? I mean, I've had friends yeah. that I've seen at at places where I my advice to them as a friend has been like, I think you need to quit because it's just not your joint, man. Mm. Like it's not that you can't do the work or that they won't benefit from the work that you do. I just don't think it fits. Like it's okay, yeah. it just doesn't fit. You had a, uh, uh, a previous thing that you'd mentioned on another one that was thought provoking in this context too, to me, which was around, um, there's sometimes there's good managers, but then there's team, like the manager and team match, like the matching of sort of what a team's work style is and a management style. Like, how do you handle that? Like, what do you do? Like, let's just say First you're, of all, you're not yeah. supposed to interview me. <laughs> I don't know. It was interesting. <laughs> well, no, I think it's, it, well, so I don't like the, I don't prescribe to the whole manager versus leader nonsense. Like you either are, you either can get people to work together or you can't. So like there are right. different qualities that make good leaders versus managers. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. What I will say though, is that it's incumbent on the person who's setting the charge hmm. to meet 
what everybody needs or blow them out. Hmm. And and that's the thing that I I don't I don't by the way I don't have a brilliant answer for you, but what what I what I've learned for me personally is so I'm okay actually this is a perfect time. So you and I had a conversation before we started about meeting people where they are. Yeah, this is where I was going to go too because I feel like I do want to meet people where they are and then you go ahead. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> and I'm going to sound like such a jerk right now, but it's okay. I love that construct. Like it's a really good concept. Sometimes people have to meet you where you are. Hmm. And the thing is, is that if you spend all of your time meeting people where they are and making concession after concession to get to a place where everybody is met where they are, what you'll look at when you look at like, let's use like a, you know, I don't know, a, a football field, you'll have people on the 30 and the 10 and the 20 and the 50 and like people are over the place. Yeah. And so for, when I think about it, like what I've seen successful from other people, not from me. What I've seen other people do successfully is be like, yeah, I will meet you where you are to get you to where we are. Mm. But the point is not to meet you where you are and go, oh, this is where you are. This is what needs to happen. Like part of the kind of like unfun part of this world is like business. You, it, there's work to your point. Like you got to anchor in the work. Yeah. And so I, I think as a leader, you have to be really mindful about how much energy you're expending to meet people where they are. If not, if, if there's other people that could just be more like closer in the boat, whatever analogy you want to use. Uh, I agree with that. You didn't sound like a jerk, by the way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. I definitely agree. As a manager, you definitely sometimes have times where you feel like you're getting pushed around because you're maybe working. Well, I do. I don't want to say other managers. Maybe oh, me too. All the time. probably people that are doing it better than me, but I, I get a, it, it'll tire me. But then you have to, um, you have to manage to that even like, Hey man, we're, this is getting to be too much. Like, here's where I need you. And, uh, you're right. You're not a, you know, it's not a, 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 a black hole of sort of emotion and effort just from the manager to meet people where they are. Like you should definitely have a team that's trying to lean in in their way too. And then you can, you maybe it's meet in the middle as opposed to meet people where they are, but you have to recognize that you might need to meet in the middle and that people bring different things to the table. Um, but the, the definitely, like you said, like some people are at the 50 and some people are on the 10 and that's exhausting and not productive. And if you're, uh, if you're not doing that, uh, as an employee or as, as the other person, just like you're talking about managing up and managing down, like you do have to work to understand what your manager's getting at. And if you don't know what your manager's getting at, you should ask them, what's yeah. this for? You know what I mean? Like, hey, send me these numbers. Then that that's okay. But hey, X, Y, Z is going on and that these numbers will help me add color to X, Y, you know, to A, B, and C. That creates uh, a better context. And you can, you can ask those questions like, hey, or, maybe your manager's missing something, right? Like, send me X, Y, Z. And you're like, oh, do you need that for this? No, I actually need it for that. Oh, good. Well, we might want to add in this, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, you always have to sort of work to understand, I think, everybody that you work with and then understand their motivation. So I, I agree, um, though, you, you, can, you can run out of gas pretty fast and be exhausted as a manager if you're constantly worried about and trying to, you know, unlock things with yeah. every person on your team. You, you've got to, they, they have responsibility too to make it go. 
Yeah, I've, one one of my worst qualities as a leader, and I'm like I'm like really very aware of this. It's not good, and I do it as a, in my family. I do it too. Like I I grew up Irish Catholic, and my mom yeah. one of my favorite things that I used to hear all the time when I was a kid. By favorite, I mean it's terrible because it's true. But she used to tell me, "You should say, get off the cross. We need the wood." I'm such a martyr. Like if everybody around me is not doing the work, I'll just do the work because I'm like, but the work needs to get done. Yeah. This is where I actually identify a lot with Gen X and Boomers, and in, in a way that I, I think some millennials don't like. Just the way I was raised and who I was around, it was like if, if everyone's not pulling their weight, I'll pull the weight. And yeah. and the the truth is, as a leader, that's not great because no. to your point, it burns you out. It's not helpful. And if you spend all that time filling everybody else's cup, nobody like no one's better for it. And and that's where I where I'm most the only time that I've ever really been able to dial this in successfully as a professional is I am so good at firing clients. I'm terrible about this internally. But if we <laughs> yeah. constantly like I found myself in positions before, like talking to like my CEO and, and people I'm really close with, right. where I'm like, hey, we should just fire them. Like we're constantly meeting them where they are. There is no middle ground. And we're going to like we're, if we've set the stage now, we are, we are never getting out of this cycle. Yeah. And if we're never going to this cycle. Let's just leave the ride. <laughs> like, yeah. like straight up and by the way like it's worked sometimes it has gone real poorly a few times but it's it's one of the only places where i ever have the confidence to flex that muscle and i'm still not very good at it doing it internally internally i still feel like you know as a leader i'm like if we're not doing good it's on me and so if people can't pick the weight up i'll do it yeah and then i'm like you know i'm not passive aggressive i'm aggressive aggressive but then i'm aggressive <laughs> about it and i'm like being a jerk and i'm like mad that i had to pick up the weight and i'm like stomping my feet around the kitchen like i guess i'll clean too you know what i yeah. mean like that's not great <laughs> <laughs> that's funny the, the it's an interesting concept on firing clients and um uh you talked again previously uh about uh intuition versus data driven and i think that's a really interesting concept like you know that you're the product of your experiences sometimes you're just sort of like this isn't gonna work Right. Like you just know. Yeah. And what you do about that is hard. And sometimes you have to justify it with data. And then sometimes the data says, hey, this isn't going to work. But as a product of all of our experiences and firing clients or even sometimes employees that you're just sort of like, I'm not sure this person's going to be a fit. And I thought they would be one of the things that I think you get as an experienced manager or somebody in the space. Right. Like ad I've been doing ad tech now for 20 years. I was at advertising.com a thousand years ago, 20 years ago, not a thousand. And you start to understand what a good client looks like yeah and then hopefully your 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 experiences can help you get them into what a good client is and then even better when you're leading leaders as a manager of people as a manager of leaders now um show model for those folks what the behavior is to help them shape it right like so that they can refine their intuition and train them on i that's what i love that's what i love about my job honestly like i the ad tech stuff is intellectually very cool and i do i do like it working with the companies that i do but the thing that's really cool is seeing folks like grab hold of it and then become leaders on their own like i love that like that's just that's the best well you just said something that i absolutely love and if you ever write a book it should be called refining intuition mm. I love that. I love that concept because the truth is, and I'm just going to wax for a minute because I'm thinking yeah, for no, real great. time. What's cool is that your intuition isn't, it is evolving. Right. Yeah. And like, and I, I do think that that's a thing that we miss, which is that like your gut is changing forever over time, over time because of your personal experiences, right? Like what you go through. Yeah. And I, what a beautiful way to think about actually training people is like, oh, I'm going to like, let's, 
I, I love that. As, oh, I love that. I'm stealing that. I love that <laughs> language. Even sitting down with somebody and say, hey, I want to refine your intuition on this a little bit. I mm. think you misread this. And here's why. Here's the signs my intuition caught. Right. Here's what I saw because I've been doing this longer or because I wasn't as close to it or whatever the, whatever the objects are. Yeah. But I, I love that concept because it is like the intuition is something that inherently you do have to fundamentally work on forever. Like you're forever fig- like getting better antennas. It should right? be getting stronger signals if you're really if you're doing if you're doing it right. <laughs> if you're curious to tie that back in, right. if you're genuinely curious, like why did that happen? Or hey, X Y, you know, hey, client, like we sort of thought this was going to happen, and this happened, right? Oh, and then the next time, and then the next time, and the next time. But yeah, it's a, I guess evolu- it's an evolutionary idea in a way. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it is. It is true. But you have to be open. There's a vulnerability to that too. It can't just be like, hey, man, this is how we did it. And this is how we're going to do it again, you know? Yeah. That's my my ongoing sort of premise with my team is like, hey, listen, this isn't the 1960s IBM. Like, it's not like, hey, well, this is how we do it. And this is this is the way we're going to do it tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, let's let's think about how it's going to evolve. Well, it, it's and it's interesting. I'm going to give a compliment to your generation and, and ipso facto my CEO and co-founder Jeremy. But like, mm-hmm. I actually think that Gen X is like really well positioned to be great leaders right now because you guys understand disruption in a way that the previous generation didn't and my generation and the, and, and by the way, all the ones after us probably never will again. That's interesting. Right? Like I, I look at like you, a lot of you started your career to your point landlines. Like you, you just had like a email address. There was one for every, like, you know, it was like just having that optic means that your ability to, I don't want to say pivot, but ability to move in step with things changing that are dramatic, like leaps, not like step changes, but like world shifting changes. Yeah, right. Because I've been through most of them. Like when you think about the technology world anyway, like you've, you kind of got to live in a world that saw all of that happen. Yeah. So you're uniquely positioned to not not miss things. Whereas I do think like as a millennial, there's a lot of stuff that I take for granted that is just like second nature to me. Like, you know, trying to explain remotes to my dad is still frustrating. And like, I have to remind myself, I'm like, this guy was born in 1949. Like there wasn't, this wasn't an option. (laughs) Like I have second nature that you guys had to learn. And for me, it's, it's, it's basically built in. That's an interesting, is there a book in there? There's gotta be a book about that. But Gen X is, is, is Gen X the most disrupted? Well, for technology, we're definitely the most disrupted. We have to be. We have to be. I'm, I'm sure other generations have been disrupted uh, drastically, but as it relates to technology, it's it, like communications and like all of those different things. Like we we started we started one way and we're finishing another. That's for sure. Here we are on a video call. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's the volume <laughs> that you get. Like I'm sure there was probably well, I don't know if there was anything bigger than the internet, but just just mm-hmm. the, the the pure amount of things that you had to get good at to exist as a professional. Yeah, is unmatched in time, and you guys didn't start with it, right? Like, I mean, you like you had Ataris and stuff, but it wasn't like it wasn't second nature. Like, even that was wild. Like, that was wild new technology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Versus, you know, I started at Nintendo Six. You know what I mean? Like, that's the yeah, stuff that no, I was no. formed on. It was already kind of a. Th- it was a thing. Like, I sat down. This is actually this is a totally tangent, but like, I sat down and played PS Five with my buddy's kids recently to play Madden. I haven't played Madden since twenty twelve. Right, but I grew up playing Madden on PlayStation. Yeah, I crushed him because it it hasn't gotten that much better. Right, the, like the game is like visually, it's basically real people. 
But fundamentally, like I have a second nature that knows how to do all those things because I did all those things my whole childhood. You guys are just as good as that stuff, if not better. But you had to learn later in life. Like you were you were full adults (laughs) when all that stuff started to happen to you. And you were like, I guess this is what I have to do now. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, it's a funny one since we're sharing those of the funny. My kids are uh, 19 and 21, almost 20 and 22. I remember when they were little riding in the car on the radio and they didn't understand the concept of a song coming on the radio. Because right. it was, they lived in an on-demand world. Right. I want to hear whatever song. And be like, well, we'll see if it comes on. And they were like, what do you mean if it comes on? Like, they had no, which is great. Like, to, right. to me, I remember saying to my wife, like, is this really? That's crazy. Like, it, it's that was just a tiny little lens, yeah. you know, and through their Gen Z lens. Um, uh, that was a good one. What do you mean come on the radio? Like, just put on, you know, whatever song. Yeah, you just know. say what you want and it'll happen for you forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their worlds have not changed that much, right? Like, and now it's even more, you know, you dial it up, whatever you want to do. It's, it's very little excitement around, um, you know, what comes on the radio or what, what time a TV show is on. It's always on. What, like, what do we want to watch? Yeah. So it's, it's the, the, the thing that I find most interesting in the hiring process now mm-hmm. is the concept of access. Like, just yeah. like the, the, the things that were accessible to your generation versus the things that are accessible to my generation was different. The mm-hmm. thing that is accessible to me is expected for Gen Z, right? Yeah. I still have a concept of not, I remember LimeWire and Napster. I didn't right. grow up with Spotify where you could have that. I remember going to chat rooms and going like backslash and aim, like backslash send list and having to download stuff on my hard drive. And yeah. I also grew up like playing vinyl. I remember like all that stuff, but like the kids that I hire now, like they're just used to most things working all the time and having access to basically whatever they need, mostly at their disposal, unless someone takes it away. Yeah. Right. And so they're like the the appreciation goes down each generation for what we have. Yeah. Which I think is I don't know. It's a very it's a very interesting to see how that plays out in the kind of technology that gets built. I love their the efficiency. Well, it's interesting actually, right? So again, these are all old guy stories at this point. But I I cold in that first job. I cold called somebody. They probably the, the person who made the decisions for their lo, their long distance service wasn't in the office. I'd get a business card. I would get the business card, go back to the office, and I'd call them. It was really inefficient. Now my team, the the I have a I have a hunter and a farmer team, and the hunting team can be so efficient. They can find the guy, but it doesn't. It may not land as hard, and that's what I love is like the new strategies and talk about curiosity, like. You know, a, a, a LinkedIn reach out isn't as powerful as me calling and asking for JT White, right? Because they might go, hold on a minute. You might get 15 of those. from. So it's different. You're efficient, but the impact is less. Yeah. And I love the, um, the, the strategy of all that. But the new generation is so much more, new generation, the millennial and Gen Z in, in their work can be so much more efficient. Yeah. And I appreciate that and love to sort of, and again, naturally sort of curious about like, how do you, how can you do that? You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how I met my friends out in college. Like we just sort of knew to go, what bar to go to. They, it's the crap like that, but that's efficient too. That's efficiency. Yeah. That stuff, Um, that stuff is like the social side of it is so crazy to me because I have a lot of those things where like, I look back on some of our friendships and I'm like, how did this happen? Like, and like, it's crazy. And now it's like, you know, you, of course you, of course you can find people. I mean, I was lucky that like I I lived in New York. But, you know, the the idea that you can find people that have the same curiosities and proclivities and all those things as you now is like, well, yeah, of course you can. Like, just ask. <laughs> like, yeah. 
but it's it even even the social stuff like that still comes back to work style that's still yep. how they do business that's not soft it's not like it it does annoy me when people just sort of like out of pocket will say like they don't know you know whatever so and so they here's all they want it's like no they want they they want to get the work done too yeah we just have to talk about you know what makes um like how it's going to work with them and again sometimes there's a fit sometimes there isn't um, but this is a hard working crew. I watch my kids. They work, they work just as hard as we did. They have colleges, yeah. you know, jobs during college. They want to get the, they want to do the right thing. Um, you know, it's, it's all the same stuff in some ways, but the use of technology, the efficiency of it. And then, like you said, sometimes the, the personal things that you bring around, um, you know, what technology has shaped your personality is maybe something you have to work through too. Right. Like that's yeah. important. I think I had a kid once that worked with me and they said one of the most beautiful things ever. It wasn't to me, thank God, because it would have no. absolutely broken my soul, but they said it to one of my coworkers about, <laughs> and he was like an older guy and, and they said, it's not my fault. It's easier for me than it was for you to do this stuff. And yeah, I just right. remembered thinking like, because they were talking about like email or communication or whatever. And I remember thinking, I'm like, that's a really mature and like hmm. smart thing to recognize that you're like, Hey, look, I get that because it's it, in that is, is acknowledgement. I get that it's frustrating that I can press two buttons and do a thing that probably took you a week to get done, yeah, but, but it's also it not my problem. So you got to let me do it this way and like, just kind of be cool with it. Like, it's all right. I mean, I, I told you before, like, and I, it really shaped me. It's so funny where you get these things. I don't know if it was a clip somewhere, but there was a comedian who was talking about uh, his generation. I guess he's millennial or whatever, but they didn't ask for participation trophies. He's like, I didn't ask for this. Right. Right. You gave it to me. And it, it just... It, Again, I got it, since this is always sort of on my mind because I'm genuinely interested in it. Um, to me, that was just sort of eye opening. Like, yeah, right. Like, it, it, back to parenting styles or competitive styles or whatever it is, or like you know how you compete and play games and all these different things. Like, it's what gets reinforced that it shapes who you are, yep. right? And um, as a manager with a job to get done it's important for you to understand the mechanisms that will help you get the job done and make those people happy, man. It doesn't have to be a grind. This isn't, you know what I mean? It can, it can be something that works and you have good relationships and all that kind of stuff that matters too. You know, I can't think of a better way to, to get into the questions. That was perfect. Mm. Okay. So as I do at the end of every episode, my one little mm. uh, nod to Bernard Pivo and James Lipton, I have my little questionnaire. Uh, the first one is a quote or concept that you love. Uh, I love, the concept and maybe it's because i worked at a company that went bankrupt maybe it's because my kids are getting into the working world but i love uh the concept of failing fast <laughs> yeah. i worked at 10 years at a company that went bankrupt and i also want to give my kids the confidence that it's okay to fail fast i love it i think yeah. it's really interesting yeah the, i i love that you said the confidence in it because being from the startup world they always have like the that's one of those things that winds up on every wall right yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, you know, fail forward fast. But the, the truth is, is the, the thing that you just nailed that I just want to recognize is like the confidence it takes to do that. Mm. That's, that's the secret sauce, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's, it's okay. being like, It'll oh, you yeah, know, okay. we failed at that. And it's cool. Like, that's okay. It's not that you failed or that you did it fast. It's that you did it. And it was like, all right, we, we were right. We were right to try it. We were wrong what we did. Let's do something else. It's cool. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thought for sure. What's a quote or a concept that you dislike? Uh, one, even after we just said we don't have to uh, hate our jobs, when when a company says that we're family, it, it hits me wrong. It's it's okay that we're not family. We have work to do. We can get along and be well, but it's not a family. 
that bothers it, it gets under my skin in a certain way. <laughs> I so I maybe that's Gen X too, by the way. That could be an X thing. I don't think it is. I actually think um, I had a very long conversation about this with somebody once about the difference between a family and a community. Mm. And a community is a group of people that have chosen to be together for a like-minded purpose. A family is required, right? It's a different, it's a like different that. contract. Yeah. The contract is I can't get away from you. The contract of the community is we're here until it doesn't work for us and then <laughs> we'll move on. And like, that's a better <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> I love that. And I'm, I'm, I might use that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what's a job other than your own you'd love to have? Uh, for my whole career, if whenever I can do it, I'm gonna I'll work at a record store. I want to, oh. and there's one in Fells Point in Baltimore that I got my eye on. And they're gonna try to promote me to assistant manager, and I don't want it. I just want to stock the things. I want to play the music. I want to be cool with customers. That's the move. For, for <laughs> this is a total tangent. I try not to hijack this particular portion. No, 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 please. My my <laughs> life, my whole life was high fidelity. That's all I wanted. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be John Cusack in high fidelity. I wanted to yell at the skater kids outside. I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to have a broken love life. And then I met my wife and everything got better. But like, I still, yeah. that was my, my dream was surrounded by records and a bunch of music nerds being just super that. judgy every time somebody walked up to the counter. That's all I want. <laughs> and just play what you, like as you're working, you, you can put it on to play in yeah, the floor. Just play what you want. It's so good. There's a great oh. record store here in Charleston too that I absolutely love. Good, yeah. Uh, uh, what's a job other than your own you would hate to have? I, this one was tricky. I did, you know, think about these a little bit. Um, I don't think I'd be very good at or, or love being even a product, like what you do, like being on the product side in a tech company, dealing with people like me. Um, uh, I respect the hell out of it, but I just don't know if I'd be good at it or like it. I, I really respect fine. it. I think yeah. you'd be fine, but I'll take the respect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what turns you on spiritually, creatively, or emotionally? Um, time, I, it's, uh, I have two crews of friends that mean the world to me. I have my, my high school friends, who's an active text thread and stuff like that, and my college friends. And they, they know me from a different, uh, a different time, 30, 40, even some of them close to 45 years ago. And uh, time with them turns me on creatively. It's like refreshing, yeah. right? And I love it. It means the world to me, but all those guys. And it's, a, you know, whatever, two groups of five or so. So I, that turns me on creatively for sure. And I always feel refreshed after I spend time with them. I love that. Yeah. Uh, what turns you off spiritually, creatively, or emotionally? Uh, negative attitude kills everything. If somebody rolls into a meeting and they're trying to kill something as opposed to make it go, it's just, that's the end of that. It kills me. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Uh, yeah. What's a product that you absolutely love? Uh, I'm still especially when it came out, but I'm still fascinated. Um, this is going to sound dumb. Like with Uber, it's like, it was like magic. You, you log on to a, an app and then a person shows up with a car to take me somewhere. Like yeah. it was like the, um, you know, it was the, the technical world and then something tangible showed up on the corner. And I, I'm always fascinated by that. So I love good. that. Yeah. Uh, what's a product that you wish was better or have strong feelings about? Uh, I just feel like social media has been a missed opportunity. There's just so much negativity where there could have been so many positive connections made out. such a good answer and like mm. one of the one of the saddest things about my generation is how poorly that was executed against mm. uh if you could solve any one problem through technology what would it be uh i did think about this one too i have two uh one uh is climate change and the other is baldness so either climate <laughs> change or baldness. <laughs> we leave it at that both noble pursuits <laughs> Baldness, if this was a TV show, you would all understand. 
<laughs> oh man well john i hope you enjoyed this as much as awesome. i did i could talk to you for another hour easily on all these subjects maybe we'll have to do this again thank you Great. so much for taking the time yeah thanks jt it was awesome thank you